Hey there, I'm Adam Demetrician, the lead pastor at Pathways Church in Appleton, Wisconsin. And this is our podcast. I hope this message inspires you, feeds your faith, and ultimately leads you into a growing relationship with Jesus. What's up, gang? How are y'all doing this morning? Second service, my people. The ones that get up, you don't got to get up until you got to, and then you're still running a little late, you know? I know who you are. I'm, yeah, I'm just like you, and I like you, you know? So uh, super happy to be here today. Um, we've been, first of all, I just want to say thanks for being here. Welcome to Pathways Church. If you're here in the room, uh, there's a lot of people watching online, and you know what? They're, they don't hear you guys that well. There's only a couple microphones around here just for you guys to pick up what you guys are doing. So what we need to do is I want you guys to be super loud, because like even if you're in the back way back there, you know what I'm saying? I see you, you know? I need this mic to hear you, all right? All right, so we're gonna say hey to all the people that are watching online right now and just make them feel welcome and at home and thank them for joining us. Come on, y'all can be loud. Yeah. Some surprise whistlers in the building. So, uh, so we're in a series called The Messy Middle, and I like it when you guys are loud, all right? Whenever I'm up here preaching, I appreciate it. There's, but it's not, I don't like just people being loud just for hype's sake. Like, if there's all the excitement and no substance, that's not, it's not that valuable. So uh, I, want, I do want you guys to be loud today, okay? I want you to be loud for a couple of reasons. I'm gonna tell you why. I want you to know why I'm asking you to be loud. Uh, for, there's three reasons. First is because this is not a lecture. This is a conversation. And it's hard to have a conversation when the other side doesn't say nothing. You know what I'm saying? So I've been, I sat in a lot of lectures. I've been to college. I got kicked out of college, but I went a little while, you know? So like, I've been, I've been I know what lectures are like. That's not what I'm trying to do here. So uh, I, this needs to be a conversation. So I need some response from you guys for this to be a successful conversation. Secondly, is because I'm gonna say some good stuff, you know? Right, yeah. Y'all can start getting loud now. That's okay. Yeah, so I'm gonna say some, I'm gonna say some good stuff. I'm also gonna say some hard stuff, some stuff that's gonna be challenging. And uh, when you cheer at something that was challenging, and then Tuesday, Wednesday rolls around, and that challenge comes back, and you're complaining about it, and your wife was like, well, you were cheering on Sunday about it. Like, you need that reminder too. Okay, so I need you to be loud. You need you to be loud. And then look around the room. This is the third reason why. Look around, the, you can actually do it. Physically turn your head, look around the room. Some people are still staring at me, but I know you follow directions better than this normally. So there's other people in this room that are having a hard time cheering today. There's people in this room that are in the middle of a mess. And they need some encouragement too. They need somebody to point out when there was something that they can use. They need somebody to draw their attention back to something positive, to something encouraging, to something that they can actually put their foundation on. So I need you guys to do it for them. So I need you to be loud for me. I need you to be loud for you. I need you to be loud for the other people that are in this room. Can y'all do that for me today? That's what I'm talking about, all right? See, if y'all don't stay loud this whole service, I'm gonna call you out, okay? I'm gonna tell you now. So, so the first question is, what is the messy middle? What does that even mean? We've been talking about this for a few weeks. The messy middle, it's the battle. 
It's the attack. They say when it rains, it pours. The messy middle is the downpour. Y'all know what I mean? That was, y'all know what I mean? Yeah, you can say yeah. You can talk, okay? But I want to remind you, this is the whole message is going to, this is the foundation for everything I'm going to say from here on. Big victories come after big battles. Y'all hear that? Yeah, you don't, don't hesitate. If you're going to clap, clap. You know, go for it. Big victories come after big battles. And there is a battle. There's a battle over your marriage. There's a battle over your peace of mind. There's a battle over your health. There's a battle over your job. There's a battle over your family. There's a battle over your identity. There's a battle over your addictions. There's a battle over your sexual purity. There's a battle. We're probably everybody in here is in the middle of something right now. There's a battle at all times. And if you're in the middle of a battle right now, today, if you're on the, in the middle of a battle, you're on the cusp of a victory. How many of y'all getting geared up for a big victory? Yeah? Two things you need to know about the battle. First, the battle is confusing, y'all. Have you ever watched a war movie with your grandma? She's like, I don't know what's happening, bro. People shooting at each other, people blowing stuff up. I can't tell who's good, who's bad. And like, you, it's hard to, hard, it's confusing, man. Some people get hit by shots that weren't meant for them. Friendly fire happens all the time. The battle is confusing. Second thing to know is it's hard to tell the victory from the battlefield. It's hard to see the victory from the battlefield. So there's a lot of confusion in the battle. So I wanna help clear up some of that confusion today. One of the confusions I wanna clear up is just who is the enemy? Who's the enemy? Ephesians tells us that we struggle not with flesh and blood, but against rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness. Man, the battle, the enemy isn't your spouse, first of all. The enemy ain't your kids. I know my mom thought they were, but the enemy ain't your kids. Okay, the enemy's not your boss. The enemy's not that dude that ran you off the road. The enemy is the devil, the rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness. Now, I don't like giving a lot of credit to the enemy. I don't sit around all day talking about how the devil is attacking me and the enemy's at work. I'm not one of those people, man. I know people, people, some people are like, man, devil's coming after me today. And that's what they, every time I see him, I'm like, every day though? Every day, the devil's coming after me today. I'm like, come on, bro. I don't like to give too much credit to the enemy. Uh, he'll, he'll pat his own back enough. And not because I don't think he is after me, not because I don't think he's working and trying to do something. Uh, I don't want to give credit to him because I know who's on my side. I know that my God, yeah. I know that God has no rivals. The devil would like to put himself in your mind. The devil would like to place himself as a rival to God, but nobody's threatening the throne, yo. Nobody's threatening God's position. Nobody's threatening God's authority. He has no rivals. Nobody's coming after that. So I'd rather just focus on God all day. 
but I do wanna address the devil because I think that there are some things, there are some people who are in the messy middle of a battle and the record needs to be set straight today. I need to lay some groundwork and we need to be reminded that the enemy's, we need to be reminded of the enemy's place so that we can remember God's authority. So y'all, we're gonna jump straight into John 10. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Even Jesus doesn't wanna talk about the devil too much. He's like, we're talking about the battle. Let's talk about the victory. But we're gonna talk about the first half for just a second, okay? Jesus uses this preaching technique. It's called progressive intensity. As he progresses through a thought, it gets more intense. He does this a lot in his teaching. Uh, there's at one point where he's talking about not being so stressed and worried. And he says, if God takes care of the birds who do nothing, how much better do you think he's gonna take care of you? If God's willing to take care of the flowers, how much better will he take care of you? So he starts with something small and he, as he progresses through his thought, he intensifies what he's talking about. Starts with the bird and then he raises the stakes to people. Starts with the plants, raises the stakes immediately after. There's a professional basketball player when he went to a new team was bragging about how many times they're gonna win a championship. He was like, not one, not two, not three, not four. It was not four, I'll tell you that. So this, like, that's progressive intensity. As he progresses through his thought, it gets more and more intense. So that's what progressive intensity means. And here in John, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, steal. Sorry, I'm Southern, y'all. When I gotta say steal and kill back to back, there's no telling how I'm gonna say them, okay? Jesus said, to the, or, yeah, Jesus said the thief comes to steal, then kill, then destroy. Philippians 4.23 tells us to guard our hearts above all things. So what do you guys, y'all can answer this question out loud. What do you guys think the devil wants to attack above all things? Your hearts. That's what he wants to attack. Above all things, he wants to attack your heart. What is in your heart that he wants to attack so badly? What's in there? Your calling. Your confidence. And I'm not talking about your confidence in yourself. The devil might like that to get inflated as all get out. I'm talking about your confidence in Christ. Your identity. Your peace. The devil wants to steal your heart and hide it so that we live a life lost, confused, insecure, anxious. But if he can take it another step, he wants to kill your heart. He might even, excuse me, he wants to kill your heart. He wants us to be in mourning and depressed. He wants us to think that there's no finding it and he wants us to be hopeless. And then if he can take it one more step, he wants to destroy your heart. And he might even try to keep it in you, damaged and broken and perverted, so that as you go throughout life, you don't even realize something's been altered. And then when you finally stumble and you fall and you crash, you take other people down with you because it's so damaged that it just blows up. The in that's the enemy's plan. Now we're gonna jump to Acts. A lot of this series has been around the book of Acts to see what this looks like in Paul and Silas's journey. We're in Acts chapter 16, 
Varding, starting, not varding, that's not even a word, starting at verse 16. Now, I do want to tell you guys that we're going to read a lot of scripture today, okay? Y'all excited about that? I'm kind of excited about that. I don't get to read this much scripture in a lot of sermons. So we're going to read a lot of scripture today. We're going to go through this chunk by chunk and talk about some things. So starting at verse 16, once we were going to the place of prayer, We were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. I've had friends like that. Became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of here. And at that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and they are throwing our city into an uproar. That's a little bit of an exaggeration, but by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So a little recap, there's a fortune teller who's anointing Paul and Silas. Paul basically just tells the spirit in there to shut up and go away. Uh, He maybe said it a little more churchy than that, but... Somewhere around those lines. And, uh, and it does. And it causes a big dispute with her and her employers. Then Paul and Silas get accosted. They get beaten. They get thrown in prison over the whole thing. Now they're in the deepest, darkest hole in this prison. They're in the inner cell. Now, the enemy's goal is to attack their heart, right? But he starts by attacking them spiritually. He starts by attacking them physically. He starts by attacking their freedom things that we don't even associate necessarily with being connected to our heart. But he wants to strip them of something that's gonna penetrate to their heart. And they realize that he may be attacking them physically, but this is a heart issue, not just a freedom issue. So Paul and Silas respond to their physical circumstances with their hearts. They didn't call their lawyer. They didn't fight back when they were getting flogged. They didn't fuss with the lady, the spiritual, the the fortune teller lady. They didn't do even fight with uh, her masters. Their first response is with their heart. Let's see what they do. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Their response was to worship. They invited God into their midst. They weren't waiting for their circumstances to be right. They aren't waiting for their situation to change. They aren't even waiting for their wounds to heal. Not even waiting for the bleeding to stop before they start worshiping. So I'm the worship pastor. So is it cool if we chat about worship for just a second? Y'all can say, yeah. Yeah. Y'all don't be scared of me, bro. I know I look nice, but (laughs) I'm just kidding. 
I feel like my hair looks crazy right now. <laughs> so when we worship, now, when we come into this building to worship, that's the context I'm gonna set. When we come together to sing and to praise, uh, praise and worship together, I'm not limiting to worship only being what happens during this session where you guys are in the seats and there's a band on this stage. Worship is a lifestyle, Amen. right? Yes. Worship is your heart turned toward God, towards God and your life serving God in everything that you do. Worship is how you treat your wife or your husband. Worship is how you approach your job. Worship is how you talk to strangers. Worship is your life, okay? But we're gonna use the context of worship in this building for a second, okay? So I just wanna set some ground rules there. We're gonna talk about worship in this building. When we worship, how often do we wait for God to move so that we can respond? Do we sing out even before we get excited? Do we clap and raise our hands even when we're not feeling it? Or sometimes do we wait for a song we like to, like, that's my jam. Now I can finally get into worship. Man, I've been to that show. I've been in the seats waiting for a song I like. How long do we wait for the song that we like before we really start worshiping? So the question is, how often do we wait for God to move so that we can respond? How often do you think God is waiting for us to move so that he can respond? Did y'all hear that? How often is God waiting for you to do something? How often is God waiting for you to put your hands up so he can speak directly to your heart? Just like Paul and Silas, it didn't seem like these things were attacking their heart, but they respond with their heart. Maybe it's something that we do that we don't even think is attached to our heart. Maybe it's singing. Maybe it's raising our hands, but it's not a show. We have to get our heart involved as well. But sometimes God might be waiting for you to do something. Might be waiting for you to get a little uncomfortable before he responds to us. What if God's waiting for us to worship him right in our prison? right while we're uncomfortable, while we're tired, while we're wounded. One thing I want you to notice, y'all gonna wanna clap in a second, okay? So y'all get your hands warmed up. They didn't worship because there was a miracle. There was a miracle because they worshiped. You hear that? There was a miracle that followed them worshiping. God wants to do something in you and through you when you worship. So how often do we think, man, I hear this, I hear this a lot. Um, I talk to a lot of people about their personal walks with Jesus. I talk to a lot of people about what their life has been like. And how, you'd be surprised how often I hear, when I get things together, then I'll ask God to step in. But right now, maybe I'm not ready or like things are too messed up to include God. And people think, how often have you heard of somebody desperately needing open heart surgery being like, well, wait for me to get a little stronger first. Like it doesn't happen. You get that surgery. You know what I'm saying? So when your life is hard, why not invite somebody in, invite God in then? Somebody that can make a big impact then. Somebody that can start healing then. Somebody that can start providing then. In the middle of the prison, not when you've gotten out, not when you've figured things out. Get the surgery early so you can spend your life healed. 
instead of spending your life wounded, waiting for a healer. So they worship while they're right there in prison, while they were still messed up, and God shows up. He shakes the whole place, breaks the shackles and gates that are holding his people captive. Now that would be a really good ending to the message, but that would make this a really short message. So you know it ain't over yet. So that would be a good ending, but isn't there always something a little more to the story? Things are never quite that simple, right? Because just because you're out of the chains doesn't mean you're out of the prison. The circumstances and the situation might take a little more time. God's done a miracle. Now, how often do we do this? After the miracle, we forget, like quickly, that there was a miracle. And we start thinking about the prison we're still in. You're like, God, it's a miracle that I was able to pay all my bills this month. But I'm still poor. Like, you wanna do something about that? You wanna cozy this prison up a little bit? You know? Or we're like, thank God my wife didn't leave me during that fight. But God, she still don't even like me. Like, I don't even think, well, I'm still in the prison. Some shackles have come off, some gates have opened. There might be a little breeze now, but I'm still in the inner part of this dark, cold prison. I still can't even see how to get out of this place. Sometimes the situation takes a little more time. And you might still have some things to navigate. There's still some stuff to figure out. In verse 27, the jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Now, remember I said you gotta cheer when there's something difficult said too, okay? So this is one of those difficult things. Our culture and our nature say, if you were active in my demise, then you're deserving of my wrath. That's what our culture says. That's what our nature says our initial natural reaction is. If you are active in my demise, then you deserve my wrath. But, like for instance, I'll give you a couple examples. This is where it's gonna sting a little bit, okay? When someone cuts us off in traffic, we're like, that guy deserves your wrath, right? Or when you're holding the door for like nine people and not a single one of them says thank you, a little pet peeve of mine, personally, I try to deliver a gentle wrath after that. And we do things like a mean stare, a long blow of the horn, certain unfriendly sign language that we use in situations like that. I know you know what I'm talking about. Don't be naive. So Paul didn't do that. Paul saved his guard's life. The guy that held the key to their captivity, a man that was active in their demise. Paul had mercy and stopped him from harming himself. And because of that, let's see what happened next. The jailer called for lights. Somebody cut it on, cut on the lights. That's what we say in the South, cut it on. That's not even a thing, like that makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, The jailer called for the lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke to the word of the, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. 
and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. That's right. Now, this isn't really part of my message, but it's funny. They couldn't figure out a way out of the jail with no shackles on and the gates wide open. The jailer had to break them out, right? How odd is the jailer's the one that got them out of the jail, took them home, actually. So we pray for God to bring relief. When we're in an uncomfortable situation, sometimes it's way worse than just uncomfortable. Sometimes it's painful. Sometimes it's difficult. We're in a difficult situation. We pray to God to bring relief. But what do we do with it? When he brings relief, what do we do with it? Do we take the opportunity to make an eternal impact or do we rush towards comfort the first chance we get? Before you get out of your uncomfortable situation, you may be called to bring comfort to someone else. And sometimes it might even be somebody who doesn't deserve it. You may be required to stay in a tough spot to bring relief to another. Now, Pathways, are we have a mission statement. It's very friendly, very easy to repeat. So I would love for all of you in here to learn this statement, but it is, we exist to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus. It's simple. We exist to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus. And we may be in an uncomfortable situation in our own lives, but we still have the opportunity to make an eternal impact. I say often that it is, if it is not eternal, if it is not eternally significant, it is of no significance whatsoever. The comfort, man, may fade away. The thing that the relief may fade away, but what they did for this jailer and for his household will not. So we still take our next steps and help others take their next steps. That's what we do here. We're constantly looking at, at helping and supporting and encouraging someone into their next steps with Jesus. Your next step might be inviting someone. You've probably, like a lot of you I know, have done something in your own life that's big and you take big risks for yourself and now it's time to take a big risk with somebody else and invite somebody else here. It's time to get a little uncomfortable and ask somebody else to just come to church with you. That might be it, it's that simple. Some of you, your next step is serving. Some of you, I know that some of you, your next step is serving. I know that some of you haven't quite gotten in the game yet and it's time. There's a lot of good reasons not to. But it's time to take that next step. I know that some of your next step is baptism. It's to be baptized and make that public proclamation of faith. Some of you, your next step is just to take your first step, just accepting Jesus in your lives, period. Some of you, your next step is listening to the Holy Spirit more, learning to hear what the Holy Spirit's saying in your life. For some of you, it's addressing the things that are in your lives that are separating you from Jesus. Or maybe it's supporting someone else who's trying to get rid of those similar chains in their lives. And you know what? After all this, out in the streets, then getting beat, then thrown in prison, then worshiping, then breaking out of prison, it's still not over. 
The story still continues. When it was daylight, my little thing here just went to sleep. I'm sorry. It was bad timing, buddy. All right. Um, when it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we're Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they wanna get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort, escort us out. In the South, we say, say it to my face. That's what we say. Like they're trying to get rid of this. They're trying to sweep this under the rug. Nah, bro, come say it to my face. I'm not going away quiet. The officers reported this to the magistrate, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. They didn't run for the doors when the chains came off and the gates were flung open. They didn't run for the door when they were told they could leave. They had a bigger plan because the battle wasn't over. Do y'all hear that? Y'all in here? Some of y'all need to hear this? Yeah? So all along Paul's journey, there's a specific theme that keeps coming up over and over and over again. He wants to speak at every turn. He wants to speak with, to someone with more influence and more authority. Even if it means staying in jail a little longer. Volunteering. How many of y'all volunteer to be in jail just so you can have a meeting with somebody? Not me, friends. Volunteering to be in jail a little longer just so that he can talk to somebody with a little more authority, just so that he can talk to somebody that's got a little more influence. And he does this at every turn. Anytime there's a chance for him to see somebody further up the food chain, face to face, he always takes it. Sometimes we do need to escape a situation the first chance we get. Sometimes we're not mature enough. Sometimes we're not strong enough. Sometimes we don't have the support system we need. But some of us have been trying to escape for a long time a situation that we just need to sit in for a second. A situation we need to realize the fight is not over. There might have been some relief for a second, but it ain't time to run. There might have been some answers at one point, but it's not time to go. There's still a battle to be fought. And some of us need to be willing to sit in it in the discomfort for just a little bit longer to instead of see relief, to see victory. Do y'all hear that? Instead of seeing relief, we need to stay long enough to see victory. Because this is a heart thing. Our circumstances might change. Things might get better. Things might get more difficult. But our heart isn't in the clear yet. And the enemy wants to take advantage so we've got to be on guard so he can't steal or kill or destroy our confidence or our calling, our identity, or our peace. But some of us haven't always been on guard. 
Some of us haven't always been ready to guard our hearts. Some of us haven't been equipped. Some of us, we've gone through some stuff well before I had this body of Christ, these beautiful Christian people around me. Some of us went through some stuff before you ever met Jesus. Some of us already been through some stuff and we already took the hit. So what do we do if it's already been stolen? What do we do if something deep in us has already been killed or destroyed? When he's already, when our heart has already taken the hit. And some of us are so beat down that staying seems impossible. That continuing to fight seems impossible. That beyond that, success, it's impossible. But I want to encourage you with this. Even when we think that we're down and out, we can have confidence because we know what happens. It was written down a long time ago and it's been stayed in circulation and told to us for thousands of years. We already know the end of the story. The most important battle that has already been fought has been fought to completion and there is already victory. It's already been won. It was one when Jesus was on the cross and he made it perfectly clear for anybody that could hear. And he said, it is finished. The enemy wants to steal, man. But we serve a God who recovers. The Bible tells us that he leads people to the camp of the enemy to take back what's been stolen. The enemy wants to kill, but we serve a God who resurrects. Jesus said... I am the resurrection and the life. And we serve a God. So when the enemy wants to destroy, we serve a God who restores. Peter wrote, the God of all grace will himself restore you and make you strong. No doubt the chains are real. The prison is real. The guard is real. But God isn't waiting for you to get out of prison. God wants you to invite him in there with you. He wants to be in that confusion with you. He wants to be in that chaos with you. He wants to have your back in the hard parts where it's dark and it's cold and it's painful and it's uncomfortable. That's where he wants you to invite him in. Not after you think you found a way out. He wants us to invite him into our prison, right into the battle, right into the mess so that we can claim the victory that he's already won for us. Will you guys bow your heads with me? In all of our flawed humanity, all of our mistakes, our ignorance and foolishness and our sin, God still provides us with victory. And this victory doesn't look like any other victory we've seen. There's something counterintuitive about it. This victory that we get to experience starts with surrender. Not surrender to the pain, 
not surrender to the enemy, not surrender to your anxiety, not surrender to your depression, not surrender to your addiction, but surrender to God. Someone in here right now, someone watching online, you might be thinking, I've done too much. I've already gone too far. My heart is too damaged. Even if I surrender right now, what's God gonna do? Does he even want this? Can he even help me? One of the most arrogant things that we can do is to believe that we can out the grace of God. There is nothing that wasn't covered on the cross and God wants to redeem those that'll come to him. We need to realize that we can't do it on our own anymore and that God's plan is better than ours. If you're sitting in this room, if you're watching online and the chains are are heavy and the prison door is locked, maybe you've hurt people and the shackles tightened. Maybe you live selfishly The shackles tightened. You gave yourself to addiction. The shackles tightened. Maybe you're in a prison somebody else threw you and you're stuck in a situation without any peace, without any guidance, without any answers. Maybe you thought that your mess was too big for God. I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to him and let him start working to recover and resurrect and restore. If that's you, and you're in this room right now, I want you to raise your hand. I see you guys. I see you, buddy. I'll give you a minute. If you wanna take that first step, if you're watching online right now, We have somebody in the chat moderator or in the chat waiting to respond to you. If you want to raise your hand, if you want to put something in the chat, please let us know that you're making this decision. Now, there's nothing uh, inherently special about raising your hand in this room or saying a specific prayer with me. What's special like we said, is what's in your heart because this is a heart thing. This is a heart thing. So I'm gonna ask that you say this prayer with me. If you're one of those people that raised your hand, if you're in the chat and you said something that you wanna make that decision today, it's important that you mean this, that there's sincerity, that there's something genuine. But everybody else in this room is gonna say this prayer with you. Because we believe in praying together. We believe in supporting each other and encouraging each other and walking alongside each other. So everybody in here, if you don't mind, please repeat this prayer after me. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. You were there for me through the cross. I repent of my sin. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Come into my life. I receive you by faith. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody in here said amen. Will you guys celebrate with the people that just made that decision today?